Welcome here, everybody. Mark's my name, and we're really glad that you've joined us. Uh, this summer, we've been talking about all kinds of various amazing attributes of God, and today we get to think through the, the goodness of God. When I was thinking of this message, uh, Good has just sounded so dull and tired to me, and I think the word good has lost its punch in our society. In fact, people ask you, so how are, how are things? Well, they're, they're okay. I guess they're good, really. With the pandemic, you haven't had a lot of traveling. You had to stay close to home rather than go to Mexico. So how was meeting with Uncle Charlie instead of going to Mexico? Well, it's, it's okay. It's kind of good. We, we, we've demeaned the meaning of good. We say to our kids when we leave our kids with babysitters, be good now. Do you think it has ever made a difference in their behavior? Kids are thinking, I'm going to stick a marble up my brother's nose. They're not thinking about mom said, be good, I better watch out. Goodness has been demoted in our culture. Jesus used the story, a small conversation in Mark chapter 10 to talk about goodness. And we want to talk about that today. So take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10, stand with me as we read from verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to have inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all those things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you ask, Jesus said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, it's hard if it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Lord, teach us what this means. We open our lives to you, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us and through us to each other. May we understand goodness like never before. And Lord, we pray for people who are living their lives in completely forgetting that God is good and God is great. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Folks, this leads me to the first main thought today, and that is that God is good. We often forget the truth in the busyness and hardship of life that God at his core is good. And his goodness is something he constantly and strategically does to us, in us, and around us. He doesn't just talk about goodness. God does goodness. He can't help himself. He's just good. And the Bible states over and over, there are moral absolutes about this. There's absolute transcendence that originate in God himself. C.S. Lewis talked about in his book, Mere Christianity. Anytime you see people that are arguing, uh, what you're basically seeing is a conversation that reflects the innate sense that there is a way that things ought to be done. And therefore, there is such a thing as right and wrong. Because many people say, well, is there good or is there bad? Oh, yes, there is. And you understand that when we agree or disagree with each other. There's a sense of oughtness that comes out. God is using that. And today he's saying to us, there is an oughtness of justice and goodness that the God the Father wants to pour into us as we aspire to reflect that in our own lives. It says in Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just think about it. Don't just talk about it. But taste it and personally experience the goodness of God. It says in Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Folks, the truth is God has never made a wrong call. There are times that we think he has made a wrong call. I, like you, have stood beside the gravesides of friends and family members. And I thought, this is a wrong call. There's times when you and I have maybe visited people we loved in hospital rooms or we've walked through the divorce problem with people. We often blame God for this and we decide this, this is the wrong call. But God in his love often shows us the realness of the reality of his presence and his goodness. He often reminds us that he, and he uses our pain and our brokenness to pour out his love and goodness upon us. Bad stuff does happen to good people and good stuff happens to bad people. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But that does not diminish the reality of the goodness and greatness of God. The writers of scripture never stopped wondering at the amazing goodness of God in light of the pain that they were going through of life. A text that is often pondered with this is Exodus 33. If you want to turn there right now, that'd be great. A quick, quick context about Exodus 33. Israel was, was, was slaves in Egypt. They didn't know anything about God, didn't know his name, didn't know his, he existed. They were idolatry, idolatry, given to idolatry, and they were slaves. And God pulled them out of that and chose them to be his people. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments is given as a summation of all of God's direction of how God asks us to live so we can best relate to him as well as to others. And then chapter 32 comes, the golden calf idolatry, utter failure, disobedience. The Israelites fall into this trap. It shows our proneness of to, uh, to evil and our need for forgiveness in God. In chapter 33, God said to Moses, follow me into the desert and you will learn of who I am. You will learn of who you are as my people and you will become a people that others will live and you will understand the mission that I have for you, the specific mission. Exodus 33 also is where Moses says, you know, hold on now. I don't really know you that well. You've given me your name Yahweh, but I don't really know the essence of who you are. And so in verse 18, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Really? The Hebrew word for glory has many meanings. One meaning is as deepest reality. Show me the, your deepest reality. Another word for it is to show me your nakedness. Wives, you understand that uh, it happens when you walk from the shower to the closet and get a robe. Your husband cries out, glory. He's referring to seeing and enjoying the reality of who you really are. Here, Moses is asking God, reveal yourself. Who are you? And why are you asking us to do all this stuff? Remember the story. God later said, you, you can't look upon me and live. Remember that? I always thought that that was God's holiness and power and greatness was so beyond us that if we're ever to relate to that, it would, it would kill us. But that's not what, what, what God did. What, ex, what Moses experienced in chapter, in, that, in verse 19, the first part of that is God's goodness was, I will allow my goodness to pass by you. And it's my goodness that is so overwhelmingly depicting who I am in my very character. I am a God, first and foremost, of goodness. For years, I wrongly thought about this. I thought it was God's power or holiness or something else. No, no, no. It's God's goodness. 
And this is a huge truth for us as Christ followers. God is so good, we can hardly imagine this. He is great and He is good. And then God talks in verse 19, the last part of the verse. I will have mercy on whom I want to have mercy on with. And I will have compassion on whom I want to have compassion with. It seems like God is changing the conversation, but He really isn't. Out of His goodness flows this ability to be compassionate. And so compassionate that you and I as individuals won't like sometimes what God is doing. And that happened in Jesus' day. The religious leaders of Jesus' day disliked who Jesus hung around with and all that Jesus was doing. And Jesus seemed to want to forgive people that were really bad. Well, that's the point. God said, I am good and I, will, I am good in everything that I do. Most of the Christian and non-Christian world have a hard time believing this. Because they, they believe that God is some miserable, angry dude that forgives the few that he wants to and damns the rest. That's not it at all. Sin has warped our thinking if that's what we believe about God. God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. He is willing to forgive anyone he is, who asks, by the way. The essence of God is goodness. The Bible says the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Again, it says that the God is never a, a grudge. He never holds a grudge. He, he never in all eternity has spoken a deceptive word. He is utterly good. And he wants to forgive us so we can share in his goodness. He wants to pour his goodness into our lives. And many times it's beyond our comprehension to understand how he does this. This is one message, message that Jesus wanted people in his day and in our day to understand. He says God is a God of love and, and goodness. So that Matthew chapter 5.45 happens. God who owns the sun has the sun rise and fall on the just and the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. On the evil and on the good. God says no one tells me who I cannot have mercy upon. I want to have mercy on everyone. And Jesus taught that and it ticked the religious leaders of Jesus' day completely off. It puzzled them. Truth is, God wants to forgive everyone, even people like Hitler or Picton or your enemies or abusers. He wants to forgive you and he wants to forgive me. And his forgiveness is offered because God is good. Secondly, not only is God good, but he is good to us. We often think he's good to others, but he's, he puts up with us. No, God is a God of goodness and he wants us to share in that goodness. Back to Mark chapter 10, Jesus begins to define goodness from an earthly perspective. He says back to this man, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Remember, he lists them, a part of the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, teacher, all these I have kept from a boy onward. I don't, I wouldn't buy it, but Jesus did something I wouldn't have done. I would have smacked him. It says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. Jesus looked at this, this past that this dude had in full of pride and arrogance and independence, and he didn't belittle him. He was gracious, full of grace and truth, and he led this man to do thinking. If there was one problem, maybe there's two. If there's two, maybe there's more. And he is inviting him into forgiveness and grace because of his goodness. And so he said, well, one more question. One more question. 
just one more thing. Jesus said, uh, just as this man was walking away, kind of like Columbo. Remember Columbo on TV years ago? He'd say, well, it's just one more question. One more thing in verse 21 you need to do. Go, sell everything you have, give your money away to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says, the Bible says, and at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Actually, his wealth had controlled him, not he the other way. Anything in our lives that distracts us from God and being all that He wants us to, destines us to be, is idolatry. Anything that tries to replace God or squeeze God out of our focus is an idol. The reality was this. He wanted to be good. He didn't want to be that good, but He wanted to be good and likely thought He was good all on His own. There's some research around today in psychological uh, journals called self-serving bias. You've probably read something about that. It, it really refers to the human condition that we underestimate our own failures and overestimate us when we compare ourselves to others. We think we're doing quite good, actually, in all kinds of areas because we somehow credit stuff to ourselves that we don't deserve and we exaggerate our abilities and our successes and overlook our failures. As one man said to me years and years ago, I've never made a mistake in my life, he said. Well, there was that one time when I thought I made a mistake. I said, maybe we should ask your wife. Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus again turns to the commandments and says, do you keep these, all these you've kept? Well, how about the greedy one? Maybe you need to take all that you own and give it away because that has been an idol in your life. And then what will happen is fill that void with forgiveness and goodness. How about that? Folks, there's not once in the Bible where someone encountered God himself in his holiness and goodness and came away saying, you know what? I did really well. In fact, I feel really good about myself. The absolute opposite has always taken place. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. Woe to me after he saw a vision of God. Woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and I have seen the living God and he was undone. Remember when Peter found out that God, Jesus really is God. He said, you, you need to leave me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The Apostle Paul, when on the road to Damascus, encounters Jesus. He didn't walk away and say, yeah, Jesus says I'm doing really well. God is good. He desires us to become exporters of his goodness to others. Jesus, in other words, is now declaring receiving into his community and kingdom, people that do not clear the goodness bar on their own. Jesus came to earth with this message. He didn't say, try harder. He said, come and be my friend and I'll show you what the goodness and the what goodness really is. For goodness will change your hearts forever. Leads us to the third point. God is good and God desires to share his goodness through us to many people around us. One of my profs a long time ago, Millard Erickson, said, uh, God's goodness is so clearly seen in his breathtaking desire to forgive and to restore all that is broken and captive, sinners like you and like me. Romans 11 verse 12, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, 
God is good, yes, but there is a sin problem that we have. And if we ignore those two opposites, there's consequences to that. So here's the truth that the Bible says to us in Romans 3, 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. All of us. But there's two sides to that. You have God's holiness and, and, and the goodness on one side and our sin, sinness on the other. In Romans 6.23 it comes together when the Bible says, For the wages of sin, the result of sin in my life is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Our Lord. He says again in John 3, 16 and 17. We often forget 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. No. But in order that the world might be saved, God is good. God is great. He can't help himself. And he's great and good to the evilest of evil. A couple weeks ago, I read about King Ahab, 1 Kings chapter 16. Wow, what a guy. It says that this Ahab dude did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He, the text goes on to say he did not even consider it trivial uh, to commit sins of Rehoboam and also marry Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king of the Sidonians. He served and worshipped Baal. He's the king. He's supposed to lead us in righteousness. Ahab made an Asherah pole to arouse the anger of the Lord. And it says he did more, he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than any of the other kings in Israel. In chapter 21, verse 25, it says, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. And yet when he heard of a prophecy about him, he showed signs of repentance. In other words, God was gracious to Ahab, the most evil man. God longs to forgive him and us. Our problem is we often think we're not good enough for God to forgive us. And by the way, we're not. But God is so good and so gracious. He forgives us when we ask. Sin twists our thinking, thinking sometimes God is not good, although he is. Or God is so good and we don't deserve it. Either way, we miss the goodness and grace of God. This is where grace and truth come together in the person of Jesus. God is not only good to the ones he likes and the ones who obey him. He is good to all. Now God knew that we would have a hard time understanding this and that's why he sent Jesus to live before us. Live as a human being that we would understand what goodness means to us and how we can be conduits of God's grace to other people's lives. Jesus was good. Remember, he's the guy that touches lepers, then heals them. He's the guy that accepted others. He didn't condemn others and humiliate others because of their sin. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Jesus said, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. He did not turn away from his friend Peter when he was denied three times. He forgave the Roman soldiers that beat him and flailed those whips on his back and nailed him to a cross. Jesus changed hearts and forgave and transformed people so that we can become part of his kingdom. He changed people by simply being good. And so can we. There was a corrupt, greedy tax collector called Zacchaeus. Remember him in the Bible? 
Jesus became his friend and he decided to go straight. He, he becomes honest and he becomes generous. Good takes over his life for the kingdom. There was a woman who was selling herself as a prostitute. And she was amazed at the kindness and forgiveness and goodness of God and all that Jesus spoke of. And so she decided to follow Jesus. She asked for forgiveness and became one of Jesus' inner circle. She becomes faithful to the place where she was one of the first ones to see Jesus alive after his resurrection. Good transformed her. There's a self-righteous persecutor in the early church. His name was Saul, later Paul. He becomes faithful and goodness transformed him. Jesus started a kind of goodness revolution, if you want to call it that, that changed the ancient world and now continues to change our world through us. How was slavery defeated back in the Roman Empire? Because God's people lived goodness out in loving the slaves and free people around them. It changed the world. I was thinking this week, what would things be like if a goodness revolution happened in the Tri-Cities? Can you imagine what BC would be like if a goodness epidemic swept through? No one would have to lock the doors in your car. Nobody would steal it. Nobody would have to worry about, did I lock the windows and doors in my house? No, nobody would worry what neighborhood they come from. Because goodness has won. No family dynamics in the whole province that would cause anyone to cry or be discouraged. No social services needed to extract children from bad homes or protect parents from delinquent teens. No, no, none. No lower mainland would become, our lower mainland would become famous for its culture of generosity and helpfulness. And the movies made in Vancouver would be filled with moral beauty and courage and faithfulness and community. What if there was a goodness revolution in our church? So that people would give up the best parking spots, the best seats to give it to others. Unity would flow all the time. Church coffee would, teal, would taste much better and sermons would end on time. Think of it. To make this personal, what if you and I were to ask Jesus to do a goodness revelation in us, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our families, in how we talk to each other, and how we work together? What if Jesus was to do a goodness pandemic in us? You know, Psalm 23 sums up the shepherding ministry of God when it says, surely, in other words, absolutely, goodness and love will follow us, pursue us actually, all the days of our life, here and on towards eternity. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he is good. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this truth. We thank you that you are full of goodness. And you share it with us. And you work in us and through us so others accept and understand your goodness. For all of us that are here now, we pray you would continue to lead us in our pilgrimage of goodness, knowing that only God can do this in us and through us. We humble ourselves 
We ask for his presence and ask that his goodness would be ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you, folks. Thank you.